Uh, turn, if you would, in your Bibles. We're really sort of ending um, our uh, walk through the book of John, though we recognize there's far more, and we'll probably revisit the book of John um, as we go forward, as we have opportunity. Uh, but I want to um, read with you from John. Oh, I need to turn this little thing on. All this gadgetry that we have. You know, my computer last night, you know, you have these computers and they all of a sudden change things. And now they're doing everything on iCloud. And last night I had my little PowerPoint on there and it said, um, you have to go to your preferences and do something with iCloud. So I did. And all of a sudden it started downloading everything, I guess, to iCloud in this little um, folder. And so I went to bed because it was rather late, and I got up this morning, and my whole computer was wiped clean. <laughs> Everything that was on my, forget, on my desktop was now in another folder, and I, and I first went, God, I don't have any notes other than... But God said oh, he's in control, so... Anyway, um, I want to share with you this morning what I call lessons from Lazarus. Now, we're all familiar with the story of the raising of Lazarus, uh, but I think there are some lessons that we can learn regardless of where you and I uh, may be walking this morning, and I've subtitled titled it, uh, Trusting God in Times of Transition. Uh, trusting God in Times of Transition, because... Uh, Life is filled with transition, um, and transition actually means, in the vernacular, change. And if you're like me, nobody likes transition. Nobody likes change. Um, I bet as proud as John and Susan are this morning, there is a little wee part within their human heart uh, that is uh, really sort of undone that their daughter is going away, even for this short period of time. Uh, because they know that she'll come back and finish her undergraduate, but then she will be a full-fledged officer in the Marine Corps, and that will mean yet another transition for her. Well, so it is for each one of us. Life's full of, of transitions. The people in our lives, they come uh, and they go. Uh, they grow up. Um, Anne Blackley, I don't believe, is here, but lost her dear husband, and I got to stand with them and a number of other people on Thursday just before Bill transitioned from this life into an eternal one. Uh, not only do, our, do uh, people change, but our circumstances change. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Uh, the culture changes. Um, many of us have been praying and even prayed some this morning, and part of what was happening, I think, in the hearts of all of us as we uh, sang together some of those patriotic songs is that we've recognized how far our culture has transitioned, and we feel somewhat powerless about that transition at times. So life's full of transition. It's, it happens with people. It happens with circumstances. It happens with culture. And it also happens even with church. Um, and I could have put those in a little bit different order. But the point is that change and transition happens in your life and in mine. And you might not like it, but it is a fact of life that men and women grow 
and in growing, they change, they age, and all of those seasons of life um, are seen there. Uh, so uh, let me read, if I may, the first six chapters of, or first six verses of chapter 11. Uh, so aren't you glad I'm not going to read six chapters? Take your Bible if you got one. And uh, let me just read the first six verses to start us off of Lazarus um, in John 11. And the writer of John says, Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany, that's his name, and that's where he lived, Lazarus of Bethany, it was also the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Um, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, uh, whose brother, Lazarus, was sick. Uh, so therefore the sisters sent uh, to Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now, when Jesus heard that, he said to those who were sent to him, his response was, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, in order that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, this next verse is a curious one, and it's always sort of caused me to pause and go, what? And it says, verse 5 and then 6, um, now Jesus loved uh, Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. And then verse 6 says, and so when he heard this, or um, then as he heard this, that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days in the place where he was. Good pastor, wasn't he? You know, call for Jesus because your brother is sick and he decides to stay two more days. Well, um, let me suggest to you a principle that's in work as I've been just praying and reading through this text and others in the scripture. And the first principle that I want to articulate is that in times of transition, uh, whether it's transitional time with people, that is, in a marriage, or with a son and a daughter, uh, or a mother and a father, um, that God is always in control, and that God never changes. Now, we don't immediately see that yet, but as you read the entire text, you'll find that uh, God really is in control, and that he really never changes. And that begins to give me some relief uh, from verse 6. When he heard that Lazarus was uh, sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, remember, he had already said in verse 4 that uh, this sickness is not to death but for the glory of God in order that the Son of God may be glorified. Now, there's, that's a key then for understanding that God is in control and that uh, he never changes. So let me give you a couple of sub-points as I've sort of been praying and listening to the, the Holy Spirit here, and that is if God in, is in control and he never changes in our times of transition, one of the things that we can see from this text is that God's love is always constant. Now, where do you see that? Well, if you look at verse 5, 
you get a, an image of that where it says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Mary and Lazarus. Do you know that's a picture of how God loves you? Uh, now, it may not be written in holy script that uh, John, that, that God actually loves, uh, and you put your name in it, but in fact, the scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we get a picture here uh, that God's love is consistent. Now, in the midst of God being in control and that God never changes, the first thing that we should underscore is that God's love is consistent. It's consistent, it's constant all the time in your life. Now, it's constant in your life, uh, secondly, even when God's timing uh, seems askew. You see, I think verse 5 is probably the pivotal text, the, the uh, fulcrum, if you will, like a teeter-totter. It's the, it's the place where the entire chapter can be understood if we look at verse 5 and, uh, the, and, and 6, that um, God loved Martha and Mary, and then he stayed two more days. Now, we'll see a couple more sub-points here, but God's timing is not your timing. Now, remember, God is in control and that he never changes, and even though his, his love is constant toward us in the midst of our change, sometimes his timing doesn't look like ours. That's the point here. He stayed two more days. Jesus, our brother, is dying they had faith to believe that Jesus could keep him from dying. But that's as far as their faith evidently went. So Jesus stayed two more days. God is in control, and he never changes, though his love is constant. Uh, though God's timing was not their timing, uh, God's glory will be seen. Now, you can apply this to your own life. You can apply this to the people that are in your life, your marriage partner. Uh, you can apply it to your sons and your daughters, uh, even though they seem like they're going off the ranch. Or sometimes you feel like you've gone off the ranch and other people think that of you. You can take this to the bank that God is in control even when people don't do right. Are you glad of that? Even when we don't do right, God is still in control and he never changes because his love is constant, it is consistent, and even though his timing might not be yours, are there any wives in here that understand as they look at their husbands, their timing, God's timing isn't yours? That goes every which way in our personal relationships. You see, it's the people, it's the circumstances, it's even the culture, and it is, in fact, even our church. There are people here, and Michael began to put his finger on it last week. You know, the elephant in the room, we're in the midst of transition. Now, this is not about just church transition. It is about relational transition. It's about circumstantial transition. It's about uh, not just people in circumstance, but it's about cultural transition and it really is about church transition as well. Over all of it, we serve a God who is sovereign and he is in control and he, will, he never changes. And if you don't understand that reality about the character of God, you will spend a lot of your time being miserable. Now we're going to see just a little bit how that played out in Mary and Martha's life. 
So God is in control. Uh, God is, his love is constant. His timing wasn't theirs. Uh, God's glory will, in fact, however, be seen, uh, and God is always good. You can take it to the bank. You might be disappointed. Clive Calvers uh, preached here some months months ago. Uh, I don't think they're here this morning. Clive and Ruth, are they here? Oh, there they are. On disappointment with Jesus. And, And some of you came to me, and I could tell that you were disappointed in that word. Now, what he was saying is that God never disappoints us because God is always good. His timing, his his love is constant, all that stuff. That's who God is. But we get disappointed in God. You see, because we think God should work things out according to what we think he should do. That's the point, and that's why we become disappointed with God. And we'll begin to see that uh, here in just a moment. In fact, let's go ahead and transition now. The first thing is that God is in control, and and he really never changes. The second thing is it's better to believe than to blame. Now, where do you see that in the text? Let's read. Let's skip down to verse 14. Then Jesus said to them, um, Lazarus is dead. He's no longer sick, waiting for Jesus to come and keep him from dying. He said to his disciples very clearly, Lazarus is dead. Now, here's the verse. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there in order that you might believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And let's go ahead and read the next verse. And then Thomas said, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, let us also go, that we may die with him. You know, they're, they're beyond Jordan, and now the ministry of Jesus is transitioning back to Judea, back to that, that area right outside of Jerusalem, Bethany a couple miles from there, and Jesus was stoned, or they put, took up stones to, to stone him there. The Pharisees were out to get Jesus. Now Jesus is going to his friend's uh, house where Mary and Martha now lived, and Lazarus was dead, so the disciples knew they were transitioning into dangerous territory, so well, let's just let us, let's go with Jesus, and we may as well go ahead and die with him. That's what the text is indicating. Now, you see, it's better to believe, that's a principle, than to blame. Slide down with me, if you will, um, to verse 21. Now Martha, after Jesus was approaching, word came that, hey, the master's coming. Verse 21, now Martha then, one of the sisters, said, uh, came out running and said to Jesus, it's better to believe than to blame. She said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever blame God? See, see, it's, see, it's just about timing often. It's not that God is not always good. It's not that God is 
somehow out of control. God is all, never out of control. He's always good, and he can always be trusted. Uh, but sometimes we as people, instead of believing what God has said to us, believing his word, we look at the circumstances around us and we begin to blame. Uh, remember we looked at, at people, transition happens in relationships. Uh, sometimes we can blame a husband. Now remember what Jesus said here in uh, verse 15, I'm glad that I was not there for your sakes uh, in order that you might believe. Every circumstance in your life has been placed there or is being used by God and he's looking for one central thing as your response and that is to believe him. You say, I'm in a sick marriage. My husband this my wife that, your relationship with your kids, or, you know, golly, they're out, you know. And we can begin to blame rather than actually believe. You see, it happens in relationships with people. Uh, it happens in circumstances at work. And, and what God is looking for in your life and your life response to him because he's in control and because he never changes and because he's good, he's looking for us to simply believe him. So Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Now let's slide down to verse 32 and look at the other character in, this, in the text. Uh, as Jesus then spoke with Martha and said, if you had been here and blamed him for being slow and blamed him for not, probably not caring. Remember the first thing we said about God is that God's love is constant. She didn't get it. And I want to tell you that some of us don't get it because we easily forget that God is constant, his love is consistent, and that he loves you because when the circumstances in your life, be they in relationship with people, be they in circumstances that you're walking in, in your jobs, in your house, whether it's in the culture or whether it's actually in the church, when the environment begins to change, the choice is actually the same. Either we will believe God in our marriage, in our relationships, in our culture, in our circumstances and in, even in the church or we can begin to blame in this case Martha began to blame God blaming Jesus well I would suggest to you that we can all do that I know there have been times in my life when I've done that things haven't worked out the way I thought they should work out and if we're not real careful we begin to recognize that you know we begin to blame God well, let's shoot down a little closer, a little further in verse 32. Then Mary came. Martha was already there. Blame God. Blame Jesus. Then 32 says, and then when Mary came where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can you sense the pain and the anguish in them, the disappointment that Jesus who had healed the sick, 
by this time had opened blind eyes, had turned water into wine, not just a couple bottles, but, but you know, many gallons of the best wine ever. Got. They've seen Jesus do spectacular things, and he then waited two more days, and now Lazarus is dead, and the disappointment was rampant in their life. If you've been here, my brother would not have died. Let's look at one more subpoint of that, and that is in verse 37. And then the Jews said, uh, see how he loved them, because Jesus was weeping coming to that place uh, where they had laid Lazarus. And some of them said, could not this man, Jesus, uh, who opened the eyes of the blind, have also kept this man from dying? Do you see, the, the point I'm making here is that it's always God is looking for us to simply believe him. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the relationship, regardless of how troubled your, 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 your experience might be in relationship or in uh, your circumstances or in the culture, even in the church, God is looking for us to believe Him. And if we don't believe Him, in every one of those circumstances, we'll begin to blame somebody. We'll blame God. We'll blame other people. You know, it became very evident at the very first uh, act of, of disobedience in the garden, what was the very first thing that happened? The, the, the woman you gave me. You see, that is failure to take personal responsibility and say, it's not about me, it's about her. And she said, oh, it's, it's not about me. I saw it would look, look good, but the snake, it, he made me. You see, we either blame God or we'll blame other people, or sometimes it's even possible to blame ourselves when there is no blame. But it's always better to believe than it is to blame. Better to believe than to blame yourself, to blame other people, to blame God. God's looking for people who will simply believe. So I want to tag Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, without faith, without belief... It's impossible to please God. That means you may be a super religious, super califragilistic, expialis, faithful person. And it, may, and it will mean nothing if you have not real biblical faith. That means when your world begins to disintegrate around you, when relationships begin to fail, when the culture looks like it's going to hell in a handbasket, when, you know, when, when the church is, who, who's, who's on first, it looks like everything's coming unraveled. See, God is looking for people who will simply believe Him, that He's in control, and that He's always good. And it's always better to believe than it is to blame, because God, without faith, it's impossible to please God, and God will never leave you, nor will he forsake you. See, we spend a number of months talking about where God is, because most of the church believes God is out there somewhere. Now, it is true there is a destination in eternity through which the shroud, each of us will step, and we will live in a heavenly realm somewhere. But I tell you, God is not out there somewhere. God, in the person of Jesus, has come to make his home, his habitation, in the hearts of people. God is faithful, and he will never forsake you. He will never leave you. He called you by your name, by the scruff of the neck, and brought you into the kingdom. It's absolutely of nothing of your own doing. 
It's by grace that we've been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. It's the gift of God because you and I would boast in it if we thought we had something to do with it. We simply, at some point, looked at the Word, heard the Spirit speaking to us, and said, God, I don't fully understand this, and I may never, but I want you in my life. Will you come and take control of my life? And at that point, all of the benefit of the cross is imputed to your life. And that Jesus who was died on a cross, buried and raised from the dead, ascended back to the Father and poured himself out by the Spirit is now living in your heart. Does that resonate with anybody in this house? Can anybody say something that Jesus is living in me? If that's not your proclamation, every day you will forget and you will begin to no longer believe and you will begin to blame yourself, your spouse, your, everybody else around you rather than take personal responsibility for our lack of believing. See, it's always God wants to work with me, with my heart. So God is faithful. It's better to believe him than it is to blame and let me give you one last point, and that is God can always be trusted. You see, I want to go back and read verse 23 and 4. Jesus said to her, to Martha, your brother will rise again. Remember, this is, not a, this is about the glory of God. Your brother is going to rise again. Oh, oh, I know, I believe that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, what that means is that when Jesus comes into the house, Sarah Beth, <laughs> the prince, that's why you're princess. Each of, that's each of our names. When Jesus comes into our house, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. When Jesus comes in, uh, uh, if we could only believe that, everything else begins to fall into place. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Now here, as I stood at the bed on Thursday afternoon of Bill Blackley in hospice, and there surrounding him was his dear wife, Anne, myself, uh, Bubba Clark had come, and we, he administered the sacrament in a very special time. Morris Jackson was there. Uh, Patsy Lennon was there. Uh, Luke Sampson was the people. Were, and we just worshiped. And we just began to uh, read the scriptures together and sing some of those hymns and songs of the church. And I tell you, it was a glorious thing because we realized that uh, that there was, in a sense, a ladder from heaven that was descending and ascending, that there was a man who has loved Jesus all of his life and toted Anne's bags all over the place as she served Women's Aglow for years and years and years, a faithful servant of Jesus who was about to transition, wasn't he, Bubba? About to transition out of this realm into the next. Now, Jesus said this, uh, if you would believe, here's what you're going to see. Um, because I'm the resurrection and I'm the life, when you have me, the life, you have me, the resurrection, uh, and even though your physical body may die, yet you shall live. 
Brothers and sisters, if you're under 20 or 30, that may not be a real big deal, kind of a theological construct. But when you hit 60 and 70 and 80, all of a sudden the relevance and importance of that scripture begins to take on new meaning. Come on, preach that word, brother. Amen. I'll be 66 this summer. And I, I was not there, but a couple hours later, Bill transitioned. Now, what happened is that Bill simply, God simply said, it, it, it's time. And after the cross, the Spirit actually came out of him and went directly into the presence of the Lord. Now, in this time, in the time of Lazarus, it was the common notion that the Spirit, by the Jews, the Spirit would come out of a man or a woman and sort of hang around for about three days. And so, you know, the Spirit's kind of hanging around. You know, anything's, anything's possible. We can pop back in there and come alive. But now this is four days. So God can always be trusted physically, uh, even though you may physically die, uh, yet you shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. This is not a, this is not a, a conflict here. You see, if you die physically, you simply, the spirit man who is, who is intimately connected with the Lord goes to be with the Lord, and when you believe in Jesus, you'll never die. That means your old man, the house can disintegrate and fall apart, but you'll never live because the life and the resurrection of Jesus is now at home within you. That's why if you, you will never die when you believe uh, in him. You see, now if you believe, verse 40, and I'm going to end here, verse 40, Jesus then came to them and said, okay, show me where he has been laid, and he wept, and the Jews said, oh, he's groaning, he's weeping, look how he loves these people. I think he was groaning because of the lack of their faith. And then, nevertheless, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Some of you may have to believe again for a marriage. You either believe or you blame. Some of you may need to believe again for a circumstance that only you know about. A job, a lack of job, you know, but you got to believe, not blame. Maybe it's a cultural issue. Maybe as you look out and look at the news and have the eyes of, of what's going on with our, our you know, our national stuff and international arena, will you believe or will you live in blame? Finally, will you believe about the church where you serve? That's what Micah was getting at last week. We don't know who will be the next pastor, but will you blame or will you believe? That is the issue that we see here in John chapter 11. So, let me summarize. In times of transition, we must remember that uh, God is always in control and he never changes. In times of transition, whatever they are, it's always better to believe than it is to blame. And in times of transition, we got to remember that God is always, he can always be trusted. God can always be trusted. Now, let me let me say something in this next slide that doesn't relate to relationship. It doesn't relate, well, sort of to circumstance or culture. It relates to the church. And let me just read this real fast. In terms of our church and its transition, Jim and I 
want to reassure you that we have begun working on a transition plan that will ensure a seamless handoff of all of the ministries to the next pastor, whoever that person may be. Hello? Relationships change. Transitions happen. People die. People come and people go. But what am I saying here today? From the text, we got to believe that God is in control and that he's good. That it's better to believe than it is to blame and that God can be trusted. In fact, I think I put those down. God is in control and he's good. Better to believe than to blame and God can be trusted. He who gave his own son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Isn't that awesome? I could start preaching again. I think I shall not. Let's pray and celebrate the Lord's feast together as we did with our brother Bill. Took a little bit of that bread and put it on his lips. And Anne, who was, had a little olive oil for his lips because he was in his final hours, dunked it in the juice and put it on his lips, and we celebrated the real presence of Jesus through the common elements of bread and wine. Jesus said on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this represents my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, Jesus took the cup after he had eaten with his disciples and poured it out, and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. As often as you drink this cup, as with eating this bread, do that in remembrance of me. He who gave his life for you is now he by the Spirit who is living his life in you. He can always be trusted because he is good. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Father, thank you for these elements. Thank you for these common uh, material blessings of bread and juice. And would you now use them and somehow allow each one of us to encounter you afresh in our lives so that we could believe that you are good and in control, so that we could believe rather than to blame in every relationship that we have and ultimately that we can trust you with all of our hearts. Would you take a moment as our elders now come and would you prepare your hearts to receive these elements?